Hello and welcome to the Ringer FC's World Cup Power Rankings. We are just hours away from the beginning of the 2018 World Cup in Russia. Russia, Russia and Saudi Arabia kick off tomorrow morning. Ryan O'Hanlon, Micah What's Peters. I'm Chris Ryan. We're going to be with you throughout the cup to talk World Cup. We'll have Ringer FC pods uh, every weekday. We'll have pieces on the site. Ryan's got a great piece on Messi. Uh, on the site today that you should read. Micah's working on a Raheem Sterling piece that you should check out, which we'll be publishing imminently. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll we're going to do power later. rankings today, Ryan. But before we get to that, weirdly a ton of news to talk about. Yep. Um, Spain fired their manager. Okay, we were going to talk about Spain <laughs> with our power rankings. But today, on Tuesday, news broke that the Spain national team manager, Julen Lopetegui, would be the next boss of Real Madrid. And on Wednesday, news broke that Julen Lopetegui's managerial services were no longer needed by Spain, <laughs> even though they are oh playing Portugal In on Friday. These two things are connected. Uh, here is a statement by the Spanish Football Association's president, Luis Rubiales. We have decided to fire the national coach. Good timing. What we have achieved in getting here is doing great part to him, and we must thank him and wish him luck. This is the key line. The Spanish national team is the team of all the Spaniards. Uh, so that is a very key line. In 2008, the Euros, 2010, the World Cup, Spain won both of those tournaments. And those victories were kind of seen as a symbol of unification for Spain in a mm. lot of ways. Um, in some ways, this firing is indicative of some unrest in, in Spain right now. Uh, there's a, a Catalan independence movement going on. Um, there's a lot of upheaval politically going on there. Lopetegui becoming the Real Madrid manager, uh, it's, it's, it's indicative of what? It's indicative of this sort of split that might be in the locker room between the Barca players and the Real Madrid players. Am I right? Yeah, I, th I think it might be in the, in the reports. Um, you know, so no, the crazy thing about this is that one, no one saw Lopetegui becoming the Real Madrid manager. Right. He wasn't in like the top 30 of the betting market to become the manager. Um, and then... You know, he becomes the manager, and now all of these stories are about how the Real Madrid players knew that he was going to become the manager, but they were supposed to keep it under wraps. Yes. And then one other player on the team found out. Guess who that might be? <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me it was a Barcelona player. Once that happened, Real Madrid panicked and essentially just announced that they were hiring yes. Lukategi. Yes. Um, and in all the stories about it, uh, Sergio Ramos, the... Um, Real Leader Madrid. of Real Madrid. Also known um, as Kylo Ren to Liverpool yes, fans. The, yeah, uh, the concusser and shoulder breaker himself. <laughs> uh, supposedly pleaded with the Spanish Federation to keep Lopetegui. Yeah. And yet there are uh, other unnamed players who, again, you can infer what club team those players might play for. Yeah, exactly. Who basically told the Federation that this guy needs to get out of here. This is not a guy who was an ineffectual manager for Spain. Not only were they incredibly <laughs> successful during qualifying, but he made some big calls. He left Alvaro Morata, the Chelsea striker, off the team. Yep. He left Cesc Fabregas, one of the keystones of the past tournament-winning sides, yep. off the team. Uh, so now, um, Fernando Hierro, who also used to work in Real Madrid <laughs> and was a former Real Madrid player and is really at the top of his managerial career, managed Real Oviedo and La Liga. Yeah. He takes over with 36 hours before these guys face uh, Real Madrid's Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> I don't know how you could write this. I mean, <laughs> shout out to Lopetegui for 
coaching 20 games, winning 16, drawing four, and then getting fired. Yeah, but he was only, <laughs> it was only the success was only due in small part to him. Remember, remember that. Uh, in other news, guys, uh, we're getting the World Cup. 2026, <laughs> United States, Mexico, and Canada won the 2026 bid for the World Cup. I'm sure nothing will transpire between now and 2026, which will affect our relations with Canada or Mexico. But we have our (laughs) fingers crossed that that's a successful bid and that that's like something. I mean, I don't really recall. I I mean, I know I was around when it happened, but like I have not had a World Cup in in the country I live in, you know, when I was a huge soccer fan. So this is a big, big deal for this country. It's huge because we... We qualified for that, 2026. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's we true. can't mess it up. That's, that's probably the best part about it. Um, the only other news we have is uh, Marcus Rashford, England striker, Manchester United striker. Knee soreness. A little bit of a knee, knee knock, uh, but the, it's all drowned out by Spain. It's all drowned out by this almost unprecedented amount of upheaval for one of the tournament favorites going into the tournament, so close to the tournament. You know, there's like stories like back in the 90s, like Roy Keane left the, uh, the Ireland World Cup team like right before the team was supposed to play because he didn't like the setup or whatever. But we've never seen something like this well, happen you, before. You know, what, one of the great things about international soccer is that the, a lot of these national federations are kind of like tin pot, not unprofessional organizations. Yes, yeah. Spain is one of the ones that supposedly is not. Yeah. Right? And then this happens. I mean, we, we see... At the last World Cup, Louis Van Hall was had taken the Manchester United job before the World Cup. Yeah, last Euros, Antonio Conte had taken the Chelsea job before um, coaching Italy at the Euros, and it just doesn't seem like it should be that hard to kind of communicate. Yeah, you know, and yeah. Say, hey, I'm going to take this job, but I also would like to coach the. National but if there's team. one league in totally the world that has up. those that has that kind of tension, it's yes, La Liga with Barca league, yeah. and Real Madrid. Yes, exactly. All right, let's. Without further ado, let's get into our power rankings. We've got the top ten teams here. We are taking into account Spain's recent managerial change. Yes, uh, we're going to talk about the top ten teams going into the World Cup. Now, obviously, there are various rankings, ELO rankings that you can look at. 538 just put up some new rankings today. There's a lot of ways to look at international so soccer teams. Don't look at the FIFA rankings. Okay, is what I would that's say. a good. That's a good note. How come? Um, because they. Under if you play a friendly essentially in the FIFA rankings, it lessens your standing in the rankings because it's a oh. less important game, but it gets factored in as an average with co- competitive games that count for more. So teams have essentially gamed the rankings and not played friendly. Switzerland did that, didn't they? Tunisia, mm. that's how Tunisia yeah. is almost in the top 10, despite in 538's SPI, ELO, they're you know, in the 40s, I think. Okay. So just ignore the feature rankings. You should start playing some friendlies. <laughs> Get up to my power rankings. Uh, we're going to start at 10. We're going to go to 1. I want you guys to just tell me a little bit about the team as we put it in there and let me know. An intriguing player that are sort of if you're just like catching up with the world of soccer right now as you get into the World Cup, an intriguing player that people should check out for for each one of these teams. So number 10, Ryan, who do you got? We got Uruguay. All right. Uh, everyone's least, least favorite but pretty successful South American soccer team. Yes. Um, this team has a very sort of hipster-style midfield of a bunch of young players. Lucas Torreira plays for Sampdoria. Rodrigo Betancourt. Now he plays for Arsenal, right? Yep. Uh, Will presumably be moving to Arsenal, but... Too bad, he's fired because you can't make any decisions before the World Cup. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that's kind of a, a big development for a very typically defensive Uruguay team. But if 
we're trying too hard if we're not saying Luis Suarez is the most intriguing player on this team. Well, yeah. right? well Luis Suarez and Edson Cavani, I mean, they're going to be the focal point of this Uruguay team. They're going to be where all of the goals come from. There's at least going to be at least, there's going to be one incident with Luis Suarez in which he yes. basically oversteps in a way that might involve biting someone. Maybe he might will, involve an intentional handball. An intentional handball. Yeah, I, there think, will probably be I think some this VAR year he's going to catch the ball and eat it. He's going to catch the, the ball, pop it, and then eat it on the field. <laughs> yeah, he's playing Sith Lord Bingo. Uh, Suarez, obviously one of the best forwards in the world. Did have like the best of seasons for Barcelona, I guess? No, not no, not but, like, but still a, a below par Suarez season is still a Top five yeah. striker in the world, Edison Cavani, arguably top five too. The um, big, the big thing for Uruguay too is they have essentially automatic qualification for the knockout stages. Getting out of Group A, it's Russia, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Uruguay. You have to assume that Uruguay is like one of the teams to get out of that group. Yeah, I think they, other than the England Belgium group, which is pretty top heavy, I think Uruguay is like almost the favorite. Yeah, the yeah. highest favorite to get out of their group. Um, it seemed like a bummer that they would match up with the Spain-Portugal group, um, but who the hell knows what's going to happen. I know, Spain could be, Spain could be that big nation that doesn't yeah. get out of the group stages now, yeah. right? Spain could be, Again, Spain could be England. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. All right, number nine, Ryan, who you got? Uh, number nine is Belgium. Belgium. Mm. Uh, soccer Twitter will be extremely upset that this team isn't higher. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> because it, they are the, the Twitter darlings, as I was roasted for on the last podcast. But they have a lot of exciting players. I mean, like they have Ed Nazard. They have uh, Romelu Lukaku playing up top. They have Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah. I mean, like the only problem really is the fact that it's managed by Roberto Martinez, who <laughs> played some really lively counterattacking and, you know, like really forward thinking football at Wigan and Everton. But like the defense always leaves something to be desired as evidenced by the fact that they're starting Dijek Boyata in center back, but that's just because Vincent Kompany got injured. Vincent Kompany's always what injured. A He's so, always injured. Yeah. And the fact that they're playing Yannick Carrasco, who is just a left winger through and through as like a wing back. Like, There's a lot of weird positional stuff going on, especially yeah. in this group. But yeah, I think that the people just need to understand that Belgium has been the darling of the soccer world for the last few tournaments in both yeah. the World Cup and the Euros. They have this golden generation of players. They have a guy who got Wigan relegated managing them. <laughs> and it's, it's, this is a big, big tournament for them. Yeah, it's, it's sort of the golden generation. All of the players are sort of Aging out of yes. the yeah. next World Cup will all be aging out of it. And yet they're starting two players who play in the Chinese league. Yes. Um, <laughs> despite oh, Alexander Witzel and uh, uh, Axel Witzel and Yannick Carrasco. Yeah. Um, Belgium is a good team to root for if you like the Mike D'Antoni era sons okay. uh, with a stubborn coach who's going to try to outscore the team they're playing, and it's going to end in crushing disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You have a good shootout. Let's yeah. go to number eight. Who you got, Ryan? Portugal. The European Portugal. champions. Yes. Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, you know, uh, Fabinho. Not, not Fabinho. Um, uh, Bernardo Silva Bernardo from Manchester Silva. City. So... Uh, Watched them recently in a friendly, and I, I noticed that Bernardo Silva was getting a lot more of the ball. Bernardo Silva is this Manchester City uh, for, like midfielder forward hybrid that they bought. Um, where was he playing? Monaco? Uh, uh, Monaco. Yeah. At Monaco. And Everyone. he is Monaco. probably the best player I've seen wear a Portugal jersey on the Portugal team 
since Ronaldo. Sometimes guys play better when they're not playing for Portugal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they haven't had a, a second a sidekick to Ronaldo since Charisma, really, right? Charisma's still on the team. Okay. No, I agree with that. The thing about Bernardo Silva, this was his first year at Manchester City. Kind of came on at the end of the season. But I think that's a common thing with Pep Guardiola, the Manchester City manager. He'll bring a guy in, he'll get his sea legs in the first year and then kind of explode in the yeah. second season. So I think this could, this could maybe be the beginning of uh, the Silva Sants. <laughs> Any other Portugal players people should watch? Hmm. I'll say Gonzalo Guedes. Okay. Uh, owned by PSG, presumably will get sold by PSG because they have to make up $60 million. Because um, of financial fair financial play. Fair play, yeah. which they apparently did not violate, according to UEFA. Um, <laughs> he's probably going to come off the bench. He's one of the most fun players with the ball at his feet. Okay. He kind of dribbles at people in this extremely athletic dribbling style, which when I think of people dribbling, I kind of think of smaller guys very low to the ground. He looks like he's returning a kickoff, basically. Oh, he gets like a lot of juice going. Um, And he's going to be kind of, I think, a late game sort of tired legs option. Uh, Number seven... Inga. Sorry, I was about to start saying God save England. the Queen. <laughs> Shout out to Meghan South Markle. Greek. It's England. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about a very special England player, Kyle Walker, the right back for Manchester City, probably the best right back in the Premier League, among the best right backs in Europe. Has not played center back and yet is being played in the three-man He's playing out of position in the yeah. World Cup. Gareth Southgate, the manager for England, has really invested in this younger generation of players. Yes. He's got uh, Raheem Sterling and Deli Ali, Eric Dyer, um, Harry Kane, this Tottenham-Liverpool hybrid of, of, of players uh, behind him. He's playing three at the back. Now, three at the back is not as dangerous as it sounds off the you know, off the jump because it's yeah. actually, you can come and have five at the back pretty easily. Yes. But it's allowing your wingbacks to get forward and expand the field width-wise. Kyle Walker would be a obvious choice to get forward and expand the field. He played for the ch- champions, Manchester City. But they've got him at center back. That's basically like, and that was, yeah, I mean, his whole thing was being like the forward-thinking, forward-driving, like outside back, gets down the line, wax crosses into the yeah. box or whatever. But, I, I mean, like, this is... The thing that's worrisome about them playing a three-man back with like John Stones or uh, who else? Gary Cahill. Yeah. Gary Cahill. Yeah. I mean, like them trying to be like ball-playing center backs. England isn't really. They don't have that one player that can do the metronomic thing of like keeping the ball in the middle. Like the shabby Alonso kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, like, which makes me worry about what happens when they get pressed. Like that's true. That's true. Now in the group stages, they've got an easier. Road because they've got Tunisia and Panama. They really, start off, yeah, yeah. Those two teams, and so they nice. will be able to settle in. But the problem with Tunisia and Panama is those are classic trap games. You know, yeah. I don't think that necessarily England's going to lose. I actually have them probably, you know, as a, a, a like underdog to win the tournament. Um, but I do think that there is a little bit of uh, opportunity for error there. I think with the way England plays, I like that Southgate. Has, is just sticking to this system. It's mm-hmm. a very sort a sort of consistency that we don't typically remember seeing from England yes. heading into a tournament. But I think, you know, playing three in the back, five in the back is kind of a way for him to make up for the fact that their center backs kind of suck. Um, 
that approach, I think, is going to work really well against teams that are better than England talent-wise. Yes, maybe in the but knockout stages. Yeah, they are playing Tunisia and Panama, so it'll be interesting to see. Thing we should remember with England, Bobby Gardner writes for the Ringer sometimes. Wrote this for Five Thirty Eight, Twenty Ten World Cup. Pep Guardiola was managing Barcelona. Spain won the World Cup. Twenty Fourteen, he was managing Bayern Munich. Germany won the World Cup. Twenty Eighteen, managing Manchester City, and. England is going to. <laughs> England! Let's go! Uh, all right, guys. Number six in the power rankings. I mean, you like, you, maybe you, you should say it. it. You're... Colombia! <laughs> the coffee boys. <laughs> all right, so you may notice that I'm wearing a Columbia jersey. My dear, dear friends and coworkers, Zach Schwartz and Sean, you were able to cop this for me. And on the back, oh, and Micah copped it. I'm yeah. sorry. It's okay. Did you, no, it's, it's totally fine. I was just going to let you have it. I've got you Boyd Holbrook's <laughs> name on the back from Narcos. I've got James Rodriguez on the brain. I obviously forgot that Micah is a dear close friend of mine. But tell me why <laughs> Colombia is this high, Ryan. Uh, I think it's one, they have a very good manager, Jose Peckerman, who was the manager last time. And they just have a team that makes sense. You know, they. we've talked about this on the podcast. It's kind of random where you have good players in a World Cup cycle. Yeah. You know, you could have three good left backs and, and like, what is that going to do for you? Yeah. Sure. Columbia sort of has good players in every position where they have a solid back line of guys that are either on good club teams or play consistently for good good club teams. They have a solid sort of central midfield. Then they have James Rodriguez as the um, yeah. number 10 who can also drop deep. They have Juan Falcao. Can, Falcao, who's finally getting to play in a World Cup in his 30s after missing out the last one with an injury. Just a great goal scorer. And then they have Juan Cadrado, who's kind of one of the best guys at breaking down a packed-in defense. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people would think that this is high for Colombia, but you know, it's the team is better than they were in the last World Cup. And I think a lot of people thought they probably could have or should have beaten Brazil. Yeah. Um, Brazilian fans definitely do not think that <laughs> after Neymar's <laughs> spine was destroyed by yeah. a Colombian <laughs> defender. But um, James Rodriguez is a superstar can be the best player on the field in any game against any team in the tournament. Big question for Colombia, and the player I think people should probably watch, although I don't know if they'll find it particularly pleasant, is David Ospina, goalkeeper. <laughs> uh, I was thinking of Colombia a little bit as like JV Brazil. You're right. They have talent all over the field, except in the net. How big of a liability do you think Ospina is going to be? Uh, I wouldn't say that he... I mean, like, I, our, our colleague Donnie Hwak, who is not here, I'm just going to go ahead and take his point, that he's not going to be the person that is going to save a game for Colombia. Certainly not. I mean... It's the question is whether he's going to lose one. Where, is he going to lose yeah. one? I, I, I really don't... I don't know. I, like, I honestly can't call it. I feel like, it's, I feel like it's, he's going it's to at least have one... the one Achilles heel of this team. Yeah. Like they, if they stay healthy, they're as good as anybody in the tournament, with, ex, with the exception of their goalkeeper. I think that I'm, like, I'm, I'm, less, I'm, I'm less inclined to call it just because he has Yari Mina and Davison Sanchez in front of him yeah, like, doing that's the right. last-ish defending. I think he's, uh, he's not a good keeper in the sense that he should be starting for a top-level European team. Um, yeah. But in international soccer, I think he's fine. Okay. Uh, Ryan, number five. Argentina. You guys do not seem excited about that. Well, I mean, <laughs> your like article today, yeah, which was a comprehensive history 
of Lionel Messi's time with the Argentina national side did not fill, fill me with a lot of confidence. Who literally, like, you reminded me the other day, I completely forgot that his first international appearance involved getting a red card 40 minutes after getting something on. Yeah, 40, 40 seconds. seconds. 40 seconds. 40 seconds. Yeah, Excuse against Hungary. The only red card he's ever gotten. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, they're number five because they have Lionel Messi, basically, yes. is what I would say. I think... And Di Maria and Dybala. Di Maria and Dybala. Yeah. But the thing is, as, you know, I wrote about in that piece, as we've talked about, the players just seem to like lose their superpowers yes. in a way when they play with Messi. I, in qualifying, I think they won one game without Messi. Um, and he had to score a hat trick in the last game of qualifying to get them into the tournament. And uh, over time, you know, earlier in his career, Messi had a lot of support with Argentina. Yeah. Juan Ramon Raquelme, um, Hernan Crespo, guys like that. And could kind of get the ball farther up the field and then make things happen near the box. Various reasons, most of which are just complete luck, bad luck. Um, Argentina didn't win when Messi was younger. And now, when you watch Argentina play, it's like, go back and watch the goal against Bosnia from the 2014 World Cup. He drops back to midfield, gets the ball, he has to do plays like three give-and-goes up the field, then gets the ball at the top of the box, dribbles past three people, makes two defenders fall on top of each other, then bends the ball into the far post. Yeah, it's <laughs> There are two ways to look at this. Argentina is over-reliant on Messi, and they're, that's going to doom them because he's one man uh-huh. <clears throat> who can't do it all. Counterpoint, he did it all. He does it all. Yes. all the time. <laughs> right. Argentina, incredibly top-heavy towards the forward line. As mm-hmm. you get towards the back, gets a little dicey, gets a little aged. As, yeah. a, as a washed gentleman myself, I have a lot of sympathy <laughs> for Nicolas Otamende, but I don't know if I want him getting Messi's back. Is there anybody else besides Messi people should keep their eye on? I mean, uh, honestly, Dybala. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, like, it's That's just, he's, he is, like, he is my boy. It's just that, like... Juventus striker, just Juventus awesome. striker, basically, basically like, messy light. Yeah. yeah. I, would, I, would, I would say, but, I mean... Which has kind of been a problem. Exactly. Yeah. Which and he's a, a little shook, been right? impossible He's to play talked together. about when he plays yeah. with Messi, he doesn't really always know what to do with his hands, you yeah. know? But, yeah, and Jorge, and Jorge Zipoli doesn't know how to play them together, either. Like, I mean, it's... I, I totally agree, though. I think Jorge Sampaioli, former Chile coach, loves to play a super high, aggressive pressing style, which, as Chris just mentioned, does not typically work when you have slow, washed-as-hell defenders. Dybala is a very good presser, though. Yeah. And I think, I think if Argentina is to make a run, it's hard for me to see it happening with Dybala not finding his way into the starting right. lineup. And maybe Dybala being like the person who's getting the goals while Messi sets him up. Yeah. All right, mm-hmm. let's keep it moving. Number four. But we're still hanging on to them in the top five, brother. Yeah. Spain. They would have been two. I they think- would have been two, and they fired their manager. So let me ask you this, Ryan. <laughs> Is if you fire your manager and you are still in the top five... My Spain thing is really messed up there. If you fire your manager and they're still in the top five, does that mean you have the most talented team in the tournament? Yeah, I kind of think so. <laughs> uh, I think Spain being number four speaks to our belief, or maybe just my belief, that there are kind of a full, top, clear top four of teams that just have sort of consistent talent throughout the team that doesn't and compare depth, to anyone else. Yeah, mm. And tactical discipline, yeah. And I think if there's one team that has such a defined way of playing and has played the same way for Multiple, over 10 years now, yeah. it's Spain, yeah. right? They play a very sort of 
possession-heavy style where they just pass you to death, then they keep passing it while you're dead for another 10 minutes, and then they roll it into the goal. And I think them being four is us saying that we really don't have any idea how the manager thing is going to affect the team. This yeah. could be a complete disaster. And I don't think Spain's group is as easy as it looks. I think Morocco's pretty good. Iran is a, just a very solid history of being a decent team. Um, and then there's Portugal. Spain could easily get just dumped out. They could easily still win the World Cup. What do you think? Anybody you want to keep our eye on for Spain? Uh, Marco Asensio. Yes. Uh, who is a driller from Real Madrid. I mean, like at the beginning of the season was just coming on and banging 30-yard screamers into the top bins. Yeah. Um, you know, like kind of heir apparent to maybe like him and Lucas Vasquez are going to be like the new Real Madrid people. Neymar might yeah, have something Neymar to say about that. Neymar might have something to say about <laughs> yeah. that. But um, I mean, like also you should keep an eye out for David Silva, who was the second best player on, on Man City this season. Um, if anything was happening in the midfield, there was, I mean, like he was likely behind it, like yeah. the pass behind Scored the pass. Scored a ton of goals Scored and qualifying. Scored a ton of goals too. and qualifying. Um, Asensio, that's good. Asen- yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, he's, he's pretty awesome. So he, the thing, it's, it's really going to come down to like how much does this upset the apple cart inside the locker room, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and can this team function if they don't play any of their Real Madrid players? Speaking of teams, <laughs> speaking of teams that have, have traditionally had some problems in their locker room, number three. Speaking of teams that just tied the United States national team at home. <laughs> France. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe, it was, maybe I was wrong. It's France that's looking very England-like. Look, <laughs> It's been pretty common to say that France, the team that, that France didn't bring with them, the guys that got left off the team, could actually be a World Cup contender. Yeah. I'm kind of getting tired of saying that out loud. Like, these are the guys they brought. They're amazing. Yes. If they don't win this tournament, it's basically on them. Talent-wise, it's them and Brazil, right? I would say it's almost basically on them. To me, the France, another basketball analogy, it's like the Scott Brooks era Thunder. Where it's okay. like they have all this talent and everyone can kind of see, you know, you probably should be stagnating these guys' minutes and you should mm-hmm. probably be mm-hmm. playing four shooters and maybe move the ball one. a little bit. Yeah. And they almost succeeded sort of in spite of their coach, right? Okay. It felt like France, it's the same way with Didier Deschamps in my mind. Uh, they have N'Golo Kante, who arguably the greatest defensive midfielder in the world. Mm-hmm. Plays the position of two people at once. That's the whole point of Ingolo Kante. You can play him. You can play and pure four four two with him. Yeah. Can, yeah. And France has the ideal partner for Ingolo Kante and Paul Pogba, who's sort of a, an attacker who you can play in the midfield. Right. And then you put four attackers in front of that. Presumably, France could blow anyone off the field with it with the talent they have. And yet, Deschamps typically has played Blaise Matuidi with Pogba and Kante, and Matuidi is a sort of defensive style midfielder. Mm-hmm. And then in their game against the U.S., he did get hurt. They played Olivier Giroud up top and kind of just focused on crossing the ball into Giroud. Giroud's very good at heading the ball, but when you have Dembele, Mbappe, Griezmann, Pogba, making your team's strategy being yeah. defensive and then playing the ball to Olivier Giroud's head, is it could win the World Cup and it's also extremely dumb. It's very United-like. Give me yeah. somebody, not Pogba, not your boy Griezmann, to, to check out for on the France team. I mean, like, Ousmane Dembele. Yeah. I, I mean, like, it's, he... So he was a Borussia Dortmund player. He was player. a Borussia Dortmund player and then was uh, sold to Barcelona for an obscene amount of money and then suffered a hamstring injury. Yeah, like, like a tear, right? the, yeah. yeah, tear early on into the season. Came back towards the end. Um, I mean, like, 
honestly just a very fearsome pacey player yeah. like just really slippery able to break that he's going to be one of those players that breaks down really tired defenses um i mean like look at just look for him to be running at people yeah. I, like it's going to be entertaining okay so the top 2 now ryan number 2 alemania germany if we've been talking about germany in this regard, for 12 years. Justice for Leroy Sané. They've been among the best teams <laughs> in the world for 12 years. Uh, Joachim Lowe overseeing yet another tournament run. Uh, they have been man- What they've really managed to do that's so amazing is to just restock this team. From the Schweinsteiger generation to this Tony Cruz, Meza Ozil generation. Who is a player that we should be watching out for on Germany? I think the player you need to watch out for, and this speaks to the weakness of Germany, is Marco Royce. Okay. Uh, this guy who is destined to be a superstar, you know, back in 2012, got bought by Borussia Dortmund. When he plays, is one of the best attacking players on the planet. Basically has Terrible ligaments that are made of spaghetti. Yeah. Uh, knee cavity that's made of <laughs> sandpaper. I mean, his knees are like, like a... a, a a MacBook charger and an, an iPhone 4 charger like taped together. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's insane. And he, you know, missed the last World Cup, didn't get picked for the roster at the Euros, finally makes the team after playing, like he played 17 games this year and yeah. that was like, holy shit, he's playing again. 17 <laughs> games is like barely anything. He's the only player on the Germany team who can get the ball and sort of run past three people and yeah. create something. Yeah. As Micah said, Joachim Lowe didn't take Leroy Sané, who may be the scariest guy in the world to have running, running at, at the you. ball, um, and instead went for Julian Draxler and uh, Julian Brandt, the Julians, um, <laughs> who are like possession-style wingers. Right. Um, right. And Royce is really the only one I see who like can break things open one-on-one and break a guy down. And I think that is why Germany's number two and not number one, that you know they're kind of relying on a guy who... You know, hopefully he doesn't get hurt. Yeah. But like, th- there's nothing in his history that suggests that he won't, you know? Um, also, you know who's like 28? Like, all of Germany's core. Yeah. Like, Tony Cruz and Thomas Muller are, I mean, like, are both like kind of in their notional primes. Yeah. And, and you still have guys like Timo Werner and Kimmich coming up behind them. Yeah. You still have arguably the best goalkeeper in the world is Manuel Neuer. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's just I, been hurt. Yeah, he's yeah. just been out. So we'll see what happens with Germany. Obviously, they put a smackdown on Brazil in the last World Cup. But that doesn't change where we nope. have Brazil for this World Cup in the power rankings, the pre-tournament power rankings. Number one. Looking for revenge. Brazil. <laughs> uh, perfect soccer team. Uh, I don't really yeah. have... I, I don't, there's nowhere to look on this team from Allison in goal to if Allison gets concussed by Sergio Ramos at some point, <laughs> Ederson stepping in for him. Yeah. A strong, athletic, fearsome defensive core, weight like pacey fullbacks. Every a midfield that like is absolutely back. like like Wolverine and Colossus hanging out together. <laughs> Fabinho, uh, Fernandinho and Casemiro. Fabinho, Fernandinho and Casemiro, and then they've also got Paulinho in the mix. Yeah, and the best attacking core in the World Cup. Yeah, it's not even Gabriel close. Jesus, 
Firmino, Coutinho. Who else am I forgetting? Uh, Neymar. Neymar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's okay too. He's okay too. So uh, it's their tournament to lose. It's always their tournament to lose, but they seem to be really about their business during this qualifying run. I feel like very, very confident about this team. Yeah, I mean, since they, they hired uh, Chiche, their current manager, They've lost one game, I think, in 20 or 25 games, and that was a, a friendly to Argentina. Yeah. They've allowed five goals total since he took over as manager in the middle of 2016. So they have that defense paired with the, an attack that, God forbid, Neymar gets hurt. The attack is almost going to be totally fine. Yeah. Because they have Firmino, Coutinho, Douglas Costa, Willian, Gabriel Jesus. That's five guys they can fit in there. I think the one weakness with Brazil... If you had to pick one out, it's their center backs. Thiago Silva and Miranda both have been great players, but they're both 33 and have slowed down. Yeah. But the thing is, they have one of the best keepers in the world behind them, and then their midfield is the best mid- defensive midfielder in the Premier League and the best defensive midfielder in, in La Liga, La Liga yeah. playing together. Yes. <laughs> so it's like they have this one weakness, and they've sandwiched it with sort of the ideal guys on both sides. And, and this is their... This is, they're looking for revenge. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. like it's it was. <laughs> they got seven, smoked seven like, one, yeah, just burnt to a crisp by Germany, was, yeah. yeah, by Germany, and it, it, it's yeah, it's. I mean, they're it's they're out for Brazil for revenge with all of the firepower they have. They were it's, supposed to win the 2014 World Cup. It was at home. It was destined to happen. They get stomped after Neymar gets injured. I mean, the footage of like, I don't, I don't know how recently y'all have just watched like the, the highlights from that game, but like the pans to the crowd of like fans literally bawling in the stands. Oh, it's like watching Starship Troopers. It's like absolutely like, it's yeah. grotesque. And yeah. so I, I think there could be a tendency to be like, so Brazil is ahead of Germany. Like what is wrong with you guys? Yeah. Four years ago, there were four players on that Brazil team who are still on the team. And it's Marcelo, who's the best left back in the world. Fernandinho, who's the best, maybe the best defensive midfielder in the world. Willian, who... Chelsea attacking midfielder. Won multiple Premier League titles since that supposed sort of... Who has literally never turned in a bad performance. (laughs) And then Paulinho, who just sort of had a renaissance at Barcelona. Right. um, Who played in that game. And Firmino, who's turned into one of the most useful strikers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... um, Give me one team here from this second half column that you think will be in this top four, top five. Like, you know, one team that would, would up usurp one of these teams. Obviously, Spain, very vulnerable. Argentina, very vulnerable. We'll get out of here, but I just want to know, Colombia, England, Portugal, Belgium, Spain, Belgium, and Uruguay, who could jump into that top five? I'd say Colombia. I'm going to say England. There you go, three lions with that. All right, uh, Ryan and Micah and myself and Donnie Kwok will be doing podcasts every weekday uh, after the games and preview the next day's games. Can't wait for the World Cup. We've all got the World Cup fever. Shout out to my boy, Julen Lopetegui. (laughs) Enjoy your time in Real Madrid. We will see you soon. 